Good to see all of you this morning. Some of you, uh, we were talking earlier, go back many, many years, PwC days, and I felt really old because they were like, that was like 25, 30 years ago. Some of you not so long ago, but uh, for some of you also that uh, I do not know, I am Pastor Shane Stone, and it is an honor to be here. Uh, I understand Pastor Joe's sick, Chaplain Wilson is sick, and quite a few other people are sick, and I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Would you, that can, please stand? The word of God says that we are given dominion over this earth, and I believe that is also over every sickness and every disease. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just pray with me for a moment with hands raised, and I'm going to ask you with all of your heart to believe the words that are coming out of your mouth. Would you repeat after me with your eyes closed? Dear Heavenly Father, we take dominion over this sickness. It is not ours. We pray for Pastor Joe for Chaplain Wilson and every family and friend that is sick right now. We declare healing upon their bodies, complete healing, Lord Jesus. We accept your boundaries, Lord God, your protection of ourselves. Let us come together united as a church body in full belief in full faith, taking dominion over this sickness. We receive your healing touch. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Well, Pastor Joe's talked with me a little bit. He uh, just called just about two days ago and said, can you fill in? And I looked at the calendar and I'm not anywhere else. So I said, absolutely. And uh, I began asking him, he's like, well, do you have a word to share? And I'm like, well, you just asked me like two minutes ago, so probably not yet. And uh, he's like, well, I know you're always ready. And I said, well, I've got a message I preached at a church a couple of weeks ago. I can always pull it out. And he goes, well, I'm preaching on the gospels and I'm walking through the gospels for the year and I'm at Mark chapter three. What do you think? You know what? The Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. I just said, if that's what the Lord wants, that's what the Lord's going to get. I'll be faithful. I'll be just to do so. And I began studying and preparing. And what I love is that uh, the worship and everything goes right along with everything that I'm going to say in my message that the Holy Spirit has prepared. This is the day that is ordained by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? You are here not because you, it's just a happenstance, but you're here for a purpose. You are sitting in this church right now for a purpose. I am here called by God to preach the word of God to you for a purpose. And I pray that we open our ears. Let us hear the word of God before us. I'm going to be honest with you. Mark chapter three has a lot to go through. Pastor Joe said, I've got till at least one or two o'clock. Is that all right with you? Some of you are like, I'm leaving now. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to walk through Mark chapter 3 as quickly as I can and get you out to the restaurants before the Baptists do. I'll do my best to do that. But there is a lot to go through in Mark chapter 3, and I'm going to be honest with you, I am not going to take the time to read through every verse, but I'm going to take the time to let the Holy Spirit speak through each verse of what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. If you have already read Mark chapter 3, would you just simply raise your hand? If you have not, I'm going to challenge you. It will do much better for your walk with Christ if you'll pre-read the chapter before Pastor Joe gets up. It'll help your understanding. So read Mark chapter 4 for next week. Mark chapter 3, 
We find Jesus once again in the synagogue where he was uh, actually just earlier, uh, once again needing, standing in front of someone who needs a miracle. Do you know someone today that needs a miracle? I do. Matter of fact, probably in my own life, I can look you right in the eye and say, I probably need a miracle about some things in my life. See, us as pastors, we're not above you. We're right with you. We're equal to you in all of our walk with Christ. And we have stumblings and failings. We have hardships. We have trials. We go through things ourselves. And right now, I believe we as church pastors need a miracle from a mental standpoint of not being bombarded and anguished in all that is going on in this world. So I pray that you pray for your pastor, Joe. But Jesus Christ is in the synagogue and he's standing before a man that has a hand that is withered. And, and, and what's amazing to me is, is when you look back at chapter two, with I know Pastor Joe has already talked about, in, in chapter two, Jesus already raised a paralytic man to walk. He was then questioned about fasting and, and what it means to fast and why he and his disciples are not fasting like John the Baptist and like we are called to do by law. He's already being accused of wrongdoing on the Sabbath day and, and at that time. And, and we come to this understanding that Jesus standing before a man who needed a miracle was also standing before men who were ready to accuse him for wrongdoings. Can you imagine? If there was someone standing right here that couldn't walk, that had a withered hand, that was, had a deformity or that had something going on with their mental state or anguish, and we as a church body were not able to fulfill the call of God to reach our hands out to pray over them and heal them all because it was a Sabbath day. Where would we be today? What would we be doing today? Jesus was being watched. And I'm in the first part of Mark chapter three, but Jesus was being washed. And in this time of being washed, he looked around and he saw the heart and hearts of men saying, are you going to fulfill law? Are you going to fulfill the traditions that was set forth from year after year of how things were to be done? And Jesus turned the tides on him like he always does with his words. And he said, you know what? The Sabbath day is not here to kill and destroy. That's what somebody else does. The Sabbath day was made so that we would have life and so that we would have freedom and so that we would have goodness upon us. And we as mankind have turned the Sabbath day into rituals and traditions and legalities that we no longer have a freedom and anointing to flow in the trueness and spirit of a living God. Jesus Christ himself looked out and he said, the Sabbath day was not made just for the Sabbath. Man is not to get into traditionals and legalisms, but it is to get into the freedoms and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the fact that when it is time, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to transition and move and change and do what this church is called to do, and that is give freedom to those that are in bondage, to give freedom to those that are lost and hurting, to heal, to touch. That's what the Sabbath day is for, and that's exactly what Jesus said. The Sabbath day is to place our focus in our life and our actions on good and to give life, not to do evil and to destroy. John 14 and 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Did you get that? It wasn't just those he thought he would like to have in his party. He said, everyone that comes, 
and ask will receive. If you seek, you will find, and if you knock, it will be open. I'm going to meddle for a moment because I'm not the lead pastor of this church, and the greatness of about being an evangelist that goes to churches and preaches is that you can get a little angry with me because you may not see me next week. Pastor Joe may not be able to be that honest. I find today in today's churches that we have become very traditionalistic. We have become very legalistic in our actions and our plans and our thoughts. We have become very worldly in our churches. I know you got quiet. It's okay. I knew it was going to happen. You have become very worldly. We have become very worldly in our churches. Why? Because we have something we're missing, and that is people coming into their churches on their own. And when people are no longer coming to churches on their own, we have to try to, in our own intellect, try to figure out the methods, the programs, and the actions to try to get them in here so that they can learn about Jesus Christ. I tell you what, church is not about the lights. I mean, you have a beautiful sanctuary. The lights are beautiful, and there's nothing wrong with that. But church is not about lights. Church is not about soft pews or soft chairs so that it's a little bit more comfortable for everybody. Many of us grew up on those hard pews and you didn't even want to sit down because they hurt. Church is not about all those things because see, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were making the Sabbath day about rituals and traditions and legalisms. And I believe today that we have done the exact same thing, which is why our churches are hurting today. There are less people going to church today than for centuries and years and years and years. Why? Because we've lost our focus upon that which is good, the one that is good, the only one that is good, Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and and the El Shaddai. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is God. And we've placed our focus upon all these traditions and legalisms as a church body, and we've pushed out the one who can actually make the change. The only one that can bring about salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. But we get so focused on everything else, we pushed out salvation. We pushed out the blood of Jesus Christ for our legalisms. We're right there in this place. God has a call for us today to do something different. In John chapter 12, we find Jesus in a home of Martha and Mary. You know the story very well, right? Martha's getting caught up in doing all the activities, getting caught up in all the programs to meet the needs of the people and do all these wonderful things. And don't get me wrong, we need men's ministries. We need women's ministries. We need, we need all the aspects of the church and we need to serve in those capacities. But only if those capacities are doing the number one thing, which is getting the point that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if I'm a men's ministry leader or women's ministry leader, my number one focus is not how many people I can get to my events. My number one focus is how do I express and lift up and exalt the name of Jesus Christ? For when I do that, then he will draw all men unto himself. I don't have to do it. I just have to be faithful that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What he was yesterday, he is today, and he will be forevermore. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Mary did the opposite. You know the story. 
She got a beautiful bottle of perfume. She poured it upon his feet. She cleansed his feet and she, she worshiped him in that act. And then she took her own hair and began wiping his feet in worship to him. We as a church body need to get back to Mary. We need to get back to the mindset and the heart that all things will come together and work for the good of those who love him if I quit worrying about those things and I begin focusing my attention on Jesus Christ. When I exalt the king of kings in my own life, when I exalt the king of kings like we did today in worship, the spirit was good today. Did you not feel that? The spirit was good in worship today. You have a great place of worship but so many of us in our churches have begun traditional that says, well, I know we're going to sing a song and then we're going to have somebody come up and talk and then we're going to sing two or three songs. Then we're going to sit down and we're going to have a message and then we're going to go to lunch. Right? Isn't that what we're doing? What happened to the times when the Holy Spirit moved from the very first song? And the altars begin to be filled because we have people that are hurting and we have people that are hungry after Christ and they need a change in their lives in such a manner that they don't care what other people think or what other people say about them. They want to come to the throne room of Jesus Christ. We've lost it as a church. We've lost it as saints and children of God. We get so excited about the Bengals winning yesterday, but we're not excited about coming in to a God who fashioned and formed and created the essence of the earth. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad the Bengals won. But not that the extent of my worship today. Do you hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to say? We have put blinders on and let too many things and too many traditions and too many legalisms and too many thoughts and fashions come into the way of us just coming like Mary and falling at his feet and pouring the most valuable thing we have of essence, of perfume, of worship upon him and taking that which all we have, our own hair and cleansing and wiping his feet and worshiping him. It's an intimate thing and we've lost the intimacy of Jesus Christ. Church, we need it today. We, am, we are being bombarded by evil like it has never been done. No longer is it lurking and hiding in the corners. It's right in our faces today. It's not being hidden. It's not hiding. I better move on or you'll be here till one. Mark 3, 7 through 12 reveals to us what happens when Jesus is placed as the focus and as the life of the party. The word of God says that, that Jesus took the, his disciples and he went to the seas, partially because he was being attacked and bombarded by the Pharisees, the traditionalisms, the legalisms of, of mankind and the church. And so he went to the seas with his people and guess what happened? The Bible began telling of of. Uh, stories of, of people coming from cities and cities afar coming to find Jesus Christ. We can't drive 15 minutes to get to church, but they were walking mile after mile after mile to get to Jesus. I tell you what, there is a passion and a zeal for Christ when Christ is allowed to be God. 
And when Christ is allowed to be God, all of a sudden healings begin taking pace. All of a sudden lives and, re- and relationships are restored. All of a sudden there is a talk about something powerful because Jesus Christ is the life of the party. Did you realize today as the church, we have pulled Jesus from the life of the party and we have replaced it? Church, don't be that today. This church is going to overflow. Did you hear my words? I didn't say this church could overflow. I didn't say this church may overflow. I said this church will overflow through the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're going to replace our focus back upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to exalt him as God, and we're not going to let anything else take our focus from him. And then what we're going to do is we're going to begin doing what the songs have already portrayed. We're going to begin testifying. You know, as a young child, I used to get kind of tired of those testimony services. Sister So and Susie Susie would always get up and and say the same thing, all those things happening over and over again. And as a young child, I'd be like, oh, come on. Let's get over this. Let's move on. But do you realize that it was in those moments that Sister Susie was declaring the same testimony over and over again about the goodness of God in her life and how it transformed her from that which was evil and that which was bad and that which was hurting and maybe a healing took place in her body and she is dancing and she is excited and everybody's laughing and saying, oh, good, good, good. But that's exactly what we're missing today. We're missing the passion and the zeal of what God has already done. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have a toast testimony to share and there should be a passion and an excitement about that testimony. My testimony, I think, is really, really boring. Let me share it with you for a minute. I was saved in the back of a auditorium at a church camp in Oklahoma at five years old. Since five years old, I really have never walked from Christ. I have served him in many capacities, teaching classes as a 12-year-old of Sunday school, going up and teaching church camps and youth camps. And so my story is very old because I never walked away from God. I've never been an alcoholic. I've never had drug addiction. I've never done any of these things that people get excited about of overcoming. My story is I was saved at five and I've been with Christ ever since. I can get excited about that testimony because I've never walked away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because I know when I do, I could become that alcoholic that then needs Jesus. I could become that addicted person that then needs Jesus. But instead, I want to keep my focus upon God. So my testimony is very boring. Or my testimony is very powerful because once the blood of Jesus Christ grabs hold and we never let go, we don't have to look back. We don't have to go back. We can just step forward and keep moving in Christ. Can I get an amen? I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your testimony is, but when's the last time you shared it? When's the last time you actually got a little excited about what God has done in your life? Or have we gotten so, uh, I guess, accustomed to, well, if I pray, God will do something in his timing, so I'll just wait And we just get bombarded and, oh, woe is me, but it'll happen. God will do it. But shouldn't it be, 
Hallelujah. Praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that he transcended my darkness and turned it into light. That he took the sins that were upon me and instead of me going upon that cross, he took that cross for me so I wouldn't have to. Isn't there something we need to get a little excited about now? Should we not be sharing our testimony out to the world because that's what happened? Do you know why all these people in Mark chapter 3 came to him from every city and every town for miles and miles and miles to come to Jesus? Because they heard that he was doing miracles. Because they heard that he was changing lives. Because they heard that relationships were being put back together. Because they heard of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And in their ugliness of life, they said, I need something different. I must have something different. And that something is only Jesus Christ. He died upon a cross for me. He shed his blood for me. The skin upon his back was ripped from him for my healing. The nails placed with his hands and his feet was so that I now can be called a son of God. The crown upon his head, the thorns that pierced his flesh, were for me. But we've lost our excitement. We've lost our zeal. And you know why? Because we've lost our speech. We no longer talk about these things. We no longer share our testimonies of where we've come from. And when we don't share, those around us don't hear what they're missing. And they're not going to come from far and wide to get what we have because they don't even know what we've got. We need to testify of the good news of Jesus Christ. Revelations 12 and 11, you know it well. And they overcame him. Who is him? Who is him? Who did they overcome? Hey, some of you are scared to death. Satan, I think. They overcame him. Satan, evil, the demonic spirits. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. I almost stopped as most pastors do on that last line and didn't put it in. Because we know the scripture. We overcame them because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And that can preach right then and there. But there is another phrase to that that says, and they did not love their own life even when faced with death. What that tells me is they realize that it's not about me. It's not about my opinions. It's not about what I think I'm entitled to. It's about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And we as a church body, if we can get back to understanding that there is only one person that can be lifted that will draw all men unto him. There is only one person who can shed his blood and bring salvation to the lost. It is not me. It is not my opinions. He doesn't need them. I am not entitled to do anything but worship. Do we understand that as a church today? We are not entitled to do anything but worship. That's our entitlement, to worship and exalt the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I'm going to ask again, when's the last time you testified about the goodness of God in your life? When's the last time you felt passionate about your walk with Christ? When's the last time you shared the sinner's prayer with someone else? How long has it been? 
Mark 3, 13 through 18 reveals the calling of the 12 disciples who was given the ability to preach, heal the sick, and cast out demons. We know who the 12 disciples were. We don't have to go through the list. But there is one at the very, very end that says this in verse 19. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, was one chosen and was one given the power to preach, to heal, and to cast out demons. Does that come to your understanding real quickly that the one who already knew, Jesus already knew the plan of God and that he was using Judas to do so. And yet he still called him, he still used him, and he still gave him the power and the anointing. That tells me that God uses those that love God to do good things, and God uses those that may fall from God to do good things. That tells me that the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ and Father God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit is far greater than any demonic spirit, is far greater than any evil that can come our way. He is far greater than all because even in his plan, he may be using that evil for good. He used Judas and Judas was a part of doing good until that one night when God's faithfulness and will said, now go do what you were supposed to do. He used him. I don't know where you're at, but I believe he can use you. If he can use Judas, he can use you. He can use me. In John 17, 20 and 21 says this, And this is why the disciples could not cast out the demons in that time period that was going on. He said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith of the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Then it says, but this kind, the demonic spirits, the evil of this world, and this kind, the spiritual realm of things, cannot go out except by prayer and fasting. We all know, and I'm not going to dwell on it, we're not going to talk about it that much, but we all know that there's been evil that has come into the city of Lebanon and into our school systems. The word of God says this kind cannot go out except through prayer and fasting. I'm going to get real with you for just a moment. We have given this entity of evil very much power over the last few days because we have bombarded Facebook and conversations with what they are and who they are and what they do. Do we acknowledge evil when evil is evil? Sure we do. But do we give it power by placing our attention and our focus upon that evil? That's what we should not be doing. There is no power in evil unless we give them power over our thoughts and over our minds and our actions. Instead, if we were doing the things we just talked about in the fact that there is a word of testimony about Jesus Christ, about all that he has done, and when that evil discussion begins coming our way, we stop and say, yeah, but, but you know what? I know a guy named Jesus Christ who died upon a cross for my sins, who saved my life from, from a dead of hell and a pit of fiery uh, furnace. And in that fashion, we have no fear against that which is coming into our city. I don't fear it. I'm not worried about it. We don't have to try to cancel it out. 
You know why? Because if we start having churches in this community and saints of God in this community who will fall upon their knees in prayer, who will fast food, drink, who will fast entertainment, who will fast whatever it takes, who will go around those school systems and begin praying in spiritual tongues around that building and begin going around our community and praying around our city into our businesses and praying over our businesses. Whom do I have to fear? The word of God says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So why do I place my focus and attention upon that which is evil that can really do nothing unless I allow it? Last night in my prayers, I was even imagining taking some, some anointing oil and walking into the school systems and wiping it upon the doorpost. Finding out what classroom they're in and asking if I can go into that classroom before anybody shows up and wipe the anointing oil over that classroom and over that desk. I don't need to confront the leaders of their evilness and who they are. What I should be doing is following the grace of Jesus Christ and praying over them that the Holy Spirit grabs hold of them in such a way that they, in tune, begin falling apart from the inside out, not from the outside in. I begin praying that our eyes of our community and our families and our children are open, that they see what it is and they know what it is so they don't even entertain that opportunity. And whoever the leader is is standing in their room all alone. Instead of worrying and talking and bleeding and giving them power, we should be who have given power through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, falling upon our knees, praying, fasting, coming together in unity as a church body that says, not this town, not this school, not my children, not here, not now. I am going to pray and pray and pray until that happens, until they're gone. See, there's another story back in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that pretty much goes hand in hand with what we're dealing with. We know the story very, very well. There was a very large man named Goliath that was standing in his army across from the children of Israel. And the word of God says for 40 days, he was crying out, someone come and fight. Someone who has the ability and the talent, come on and take me on. Someone come. And then all of a sudden in that discussion, in that talk, the children of Israel, who has all the power, who has fought battles and didn't even raise a sword and won those battles because of the Holy Spirit. They're shaking in their boots because they're talking about how tall he is, how broad he is. Look at the armor upon him. Look at that huge sword. Look at that spear that stands twice as tall as I even stand. Look at who he is and all that is going on. They got their focus off of God and they got their focus upon the man. We've gotten our focus off of God and we've gotten our focus onto evil. We've gotten our focus off of freedom through the Holy Spirit and we've gotten our focus back into traditions and legalisms of what things should be. You just went through 21, 22 days of, of prayer. You are perfectly set for a time such as this to make a dynamic difference in your community because you don't stop at 21 days of prayer. 
You go to 22 and you go to 23 and you go to 24 and you go to 100 and you go to 200 and you go to 300 and you begin, begin falling upon your knees at home and not just doing the little quick prayers, but you're earnestly praying like Jesus did where sweat may come off of your brow because you have such a desire for the transition of Jesus Christ. I challenge you church today. The Holy Spirit today is challenging you right now to get into the battle. The scripture says the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. We're not going to be like David who walked in. And, and let me go back to that story for a moment. David came into the scene, as you well know, and when he heard things that were going on, he got angry. I tell you, that right there would preach a whole sermon because many of us no longer get angry about evil in this world. We've accepted all the junk on our TV screens and our radios and all the things that they're doing, even on the Hallmark channel. It shouldn't be, but we as the church have just sat back in our pews and say, well, someday God will return and we'll just go home and be out of all this. But I tell you, God is calling for some Davids to stand up today. God is calling for some Davids to stand up and get angry a little bit. But when David got angry, he didn't say, I'll go take care of Goliath. I don't care how big he is. I've got the strength and the power. He didn't do that. He'd been, been declaring. He walked up to a group of men and said, let me tell you a little something. There, there was a time when, when I was out with the sheep and, and a lion came and, and tried to take him. And, and, and God gave me the strength to go grab the hair of that lion and destroy that lion and bring that sheep back into the fold. And those men said, we don't want to hear about that. Look at him. He's huge. Look at that evil. Look at, look at what's going on. So he left that group and he went to another group and he said, hey, hey, there was a time when a lion came. And when that lion came, I got into the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and I grabbed that lion by the mane and I pulled it down and I saved that sheep. And they said, I don't, I don't want to hear about that. There's evil in the place. Something's come into our community. Saul heard the story and he walked into Saul and he said, let me tell you something. It is not by my might nor by my power, but by the glory of the Holy Spirit. There was a lion that came and through that anointing, I killed that lion. It wasn't me, but it was God. And when the bear came, I killed the bear. And I tell you what, I am tired of the evil that is coming against my people. And if God be willing, I will go fight. I'll get angry enough to get on my knees and I'll go fight. We know the story of David where he took the very thing that Goliath had and was pointing toward the children of Israel to scare them. That sword, he took the very thing. Did you know the evil that is coming upon us city and that has been here for a while? Many of you don't even know that there's been an occult of witches that have been in Warren County for years. Evil's been here for years. We don't know it because we put our blinders on so we don't see. But I tell you what, we need a David to stand up. We need a church of Davids to stand up and get angry. We need some people to fall upon the testimony of all that God has done for them, of the good things of Jesus Christ, so that when other people begin hearing how powerful and anointed Jesus Christ is, they come running into the church. They come running to you at Kroger's and into Walmart. 
They come running to you to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're no longer passive. We're no longer traditionalists, but we're Davids fighting for the kingdom of God. We need some Davids today. Mark chapter three reveals to us this truth. There is a supernatural and there is a carnal. The supernatural and the carnal fight each other because we as flesh tend not to let our carnal facts die. Our traditionalisms and legalisms and our methods and our patterns, we lift that up above Jesus Christ. But there's also a spiritual war between good and evil that's going on and we've now seen it in our own little bubble of Lebanon Did you know that your place in battle is the most simple thing that you can possibly do? It's not taking up a sword. It's not taking up a spear. It's not going, getting into the faces of those leaderships and saying, what are you doing? Get out of here. The most simplest thing that we can do in the battle is fall upon our knees. Look up to a God who is God who fashioned and formed the foundations of the earth, who set forth a plan in motion that has been going in motion from the beginning of time till now. And if his plan has been perfect till now, why will his plan not be perfect today? Why do I worry? I must refocus my attention back to him. I must refocus my my speech back to him. I must refocus my attention of my testimony back to him. And when we all begin doing that, when we all begin coming to an altar of prayer during our services on Sunday mornings, the withered hands are going to begin opening. The crippled are going to begin walking. The dead of sin are going to be fashioned and renewed from an old wineskin to a new wineskin. And there's going to be truth and power and transformation. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to do something different today that may be out of your comfort zone. I love what sister said earlier that our altars are always open, but what the fact is, is our altars being always open are always open because no one comes to them anymore. Here's why. We no longer humble ourselves to come before the presence of God. When you get out of your chair to come front to an altar of prayer, you must humble yourselves and get past, what are they going to think I'm doing? What sin did I commit that they're going to think I committed? No, brothers and sisters. When you come down here to an altar of prayer, is because we need the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ like we've never needed him before. Now is the time that we get into the battle, saints. Now is the time that you get into the battle. So while they begin singing and playing, I'm going to open these altars for you to get out of your comfort zone, for you to find a place to pray, for you to get your heart right with God and realize I've been realistic. I have been traditional. I have had some legalism come into my heart. I place God on the second shelf instead of placing him as the primary focus. And today is the day that I turn from those ways.